Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show on True North on this Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Just a few days until Christmas, uh, just a few days plus one, I guess, until Boxing Day. Then the New Year is going to be upon us. You're going to blink and it'll be Easter and then it'll be Christmas 2024. What is time but an illusion, right? Well, it is my absolute pleasure to be with you today. I mentioned last week that I was going to do this and I was worried that no one would respond or all of the responses would be unfavorable. But uh, to my credit and to my great delight, people did seem to like this random idea I came up with, which was to do a show that was dedicated to answering your questions. Now, part of this, I will admit, is a bit selfish on my part because I get besieged by emails at times and there are just not, a, not enough hours in the day to go through and write everyone an emailed reply. I, I would love to. I do try. I used to be a lot better at it. But now that I'm working on a book and doing the show and all of that, I can't respond to every email. But I can respond to them on air, especially when you can kind of lump ones together that are a bit similar. So I figured today we do something fun. It's the holiday season. Why not break with the usual format and devote a show to answering your questions? We will deal with the specific, the mundane, the general, the big picture, the personal, the political. If you ask me about sports, I will give you an answer but I assure you it will bother you tremendously, whatever answer I come up with. Actually, I did get a sports question. I didn't send it to Sean, so I don't think we have like a nifty graphic for it, but I'll, I'll try to answer it nonetheless. I think someone was trying to quiz me rather than genuinely seeking to get my input on uh, whatever sporting event it was, something about, I don't know, crack it or something. But uh, in any case, we are going to have some fun today. But I first, before we get into your questions, and by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, you can ask a question live by using the super chat feature. You can ask it in the, the general comments thing, but uh, we'll definitely see it if you give us a super chat and it goes towards supporting the work that True North does. But I wanted to speak very briefly about my interview, which came out yesterday with conservative leader Pierre Polyev. A lot of really great feedback on that. I've been trying to read some of the comments on that interview and uh, people that were very delighted. We spoke about immigration and I pushed him to, I even gave him a, just the number on immigration, although he still rejected the opportunity to provide a number. His answer was that it's really not possible to come up with one that in 2025, he would put in place were he elected prime minister. But just on a completely random note, that interview we recorded on Friday of last week, and we were in Mississauga, Ontario. And for what I, I live a couple of hours from there, so it's not too difficult for me to get up in the morning and drive to Mississauga and all of that. But the thing that I find interesting here is that there is a, I, I had a weird, bad feeling about the interview. And I didn't want to, not, not that the interview itself, but I felt like something was going to go wrong. And I, I was prepared to blame Sean. I was like going to say, so I, I was imagining something, Sean was going to do something. He was going to be late or he was going to be in a car accident or his camera was going to break. I just, I had this weird ominous feeling about the interview. So I then decided I'm going to go up the night before. Let me just go up the night before everything, make sure I'm there and all, all is good there. Uh, we do the interview, goes off without a hitch. Everything's fine. I'm like, great. My ominous feeling about this little foray into interviewing Pierre Polyev in Mississauga completely averted. So I get in my car and I start driving home. If you are from Ontario, you are familiar with this entity known as the 401. It is the uh, big highway that stretches from Windsor, Ontario, right up to, well, basically to, to Montreal, but right up to the Ontario-Quebec border. I was on the 401, I was driving home, I'd been driving for about 30 minutes, and traffic, which is just like a perennial condition there, is pretty bad. There's construction, congestion. Car in front of me slams on the brakes. I slam on the brakes. I stop. I do my part. I do my part as a citizen, as a driver. I stop. I don't hit the nice Cadillac in front of me. And then a GMC pickup truck, just I see it in the rearview mirror. I see it approaching and just in slow motion, this car, this truck 
This behemoth of a truck is just barreling towards me. All I can do is pray and grab onto the wheel and hold on for dear life uh, because that truck just barreled right into me, pushed me into the Cadillac in front of me, uh, created what I believe they call an Andrew sandwich, which is like the least ordered item on any deli menu. And then a, a fourth car comes behind the uh, pickup truck. So we had a nice little four car collision on the 401, which I endured just to bring you that interview with Pierre Polyev. And by the way, that interview cost me my car. The uh, tow truck driver, uh, I, I was able to drive it home, uh, but the tow truck driver uh, just picked it up and took it away this morning. So I now have no car, which means my carbon footprint has gone down to a Justin Trudeau approved level. Maybe I need to buy one of these new fancy electric vehicles the government is subsidizing. I'll, uh, I'll get you donate now so I can get a Tesla to replace my uh, crappy little sedan that got totaled on the way back from Toronto. So uh, that I just had to share that with you. These are the behind the scenes things you don't actually see. And it's why you should generally listen to your instincts. I, I knew something was going to happen. I didn't know what, I didn't know when, but I was right that something was going to happen. So I said this show, I was going to devote it to your questions. I gave the email address over a few shows last week and I got, I won't even get a chance to answer all the questions. So uh, I, I assure you, I'm, I, I was kind of prioritizing on length. The ones that were 500 words, I'm like, I'm not reading that question. Uh, but I tried to kind of pluck out the relevant bits. And there are some that I may not be answering by name, but it's because I'm answering a similar question uh, that I happen to see first and they're on related topics. So we've, we've tried to triage this and make it somewhat fair at least as fair as we're able to. But if you want to get a new question in, you can do so on YouTube if you're watching live using the super chat feature. But uh, we'll start with this question from uh, Dustin. This is a very specific one, but I, it's good. It puts me on my toes. Dustin writes, do you like or dislike Canada Post as a crown corporation? Do you still think, or do you think it still serves a purpose? I feel like Dustin may be a postal worker and I'm being trapped here. I, so I, I have no opinion on Canada Post specifically. I, I've sent mail and I've received mail, which is like the end of my transactional involvement with Canada Post in principle. In principle, I, I think it's kind of past its prime. Now, uh, Milton Friedman, I believe it was, I can't remember which of his books, kind of said that the Postal Service was one of those things where, yeah, maybe in principle as a libertarian, he wasn't a fan of it being a monopoly, but in practice, it just made sense. But uh, practically speaking, that's no longer the case. You have uh, people that are uh, sending packages all the day long through DHL and Pure, well, Pure Later, I, I don't, is Pure Later still owned partially by uh, Canada Post? It used to be in, in part. Uh, but you had, uh, of course, the idea here that, um, you know, all of these different courier services, FedEx, UPS are doing this. What, what are they doing? They're doing mail. Uh, I mean, what is Amazon doing? Amazon has effectively recreated postal delivery as a private for-profit corporation. So uh, do I care about it? No. Do I have an issue with it in general terms as far as the day-to-day -day implications of it? No. Uh, but is it still relevant? I also would say the answer to that is no. But I, I, I'm not going to be leading the crusade to end Canada Post uh, just because it, it. I don't actually spend a lot of my time thinking about Canada Post, to be honest. This is uh, Dustin's question is the first time I've uh, genuinely had to think about Canada Post uh, ever. Uh, we have one from Jonathan here. Could you look into how it is that King Charles III can attend these functions like COP28 while being our apolitical head of state? This seems to be him going against what the crown is supposed to be. So that is, I mean, I don't actually need to look into it, Jonathan. The, the answer is that King Charles fancies himself a political leader, a political figure, and not just a, a nonpartisan, apolitical head of state. Now, uh, this was always going to be the big challenge, because when he was the Prince of Wales during Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's reign, he loved to be all about the political issues. He was the one who would like fly the private jet to the uh, private tarmac, get in the private limo, drive to the palace, and then deliver a press conference about how we all need to live within our means and do less. And uh, he always was able to do that because as the Prince of Wales, you can be a little bit more issue oriented. His issue was saving the planet. But I think there are two things that come up here. The first is that the environmental radicals believe that they are not, or at least convince everyone that they are not engaging in a political issue. If you talk to one of them, they'll say, oh, this, this isn't politics. This is the climate. This isn't politics. It's science. So they've kind of managed to make climate like 
homelessness, where it's this thing that you can have an opinion on while claiming you're not getting into politics, when the reality is on the climate issue, all of the prescriptions that are coming about it from it are very much political, and they're very much trying to reorient the way people live. So that's part of the problem, is that King Charles III, King Charles III has started engaging in a political issue while kind of believing this, I'll effectively say this lie that the environmentalists have been pushing for several years, that it's not a political issue, that there's no politicking going on. So when he transitions, when he becomes the king, and he's no longer the Prince of Wales, and he's supposed to be even more uh, restrained as her late majesty always was. I mean, she was never engaged in political issues. Uh, Mark Stein, who I, I quote on the show from time to time, he's a, a friend of mine and a very uh, legendary uh, writer in Canada, uh, had said that he was dining at Buckingham Palace with uh, Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. I don't know if, King Char if Prince Charles was there, but dining with them the night of the Australian referendum, however many years ago, on whether to become a Republican. And they were literally dining and had no idea what the Queen thought because the Queen knew her role, even at a private dinner, which was to not be political. And, and that, I think, has always been why the monarchy has been such an enduring and powerful institution. And, and look, King Charles is the king. I mean, you may not like him personally, but if you respect the institution, in which many Canadians do, uh, there is a, a little bit of trepidation that people have. Will he keep that institution where it needs to be, which is apolitical? And I, I think the, the question is a valid one. When he's going to all these climate summits, uh, he is at the very least deviating, if not outright diverging, from that norm. And I, I think a big part of that is this arrogance in a lot of the climate worlds where they talk about their issue as, as being above politics when it is as, as hot button a political issue as it gets. Uh, we have a super chat from Luke who writes, hi, Andrew Carpenter, Luke here, no question, just thanking you for what you do. Well, thank you for thanking me and for enjoy. I didn't know. I didn't know we could do that. That's exciting. Uh, I, I didn't know we could put up these graphics. Yeah, Luke, uh, thanks as well. Thank you, Luke. You know, I've often said on the show here that, I mean, if I didn't have an audience that valued what we talked about, I would just be a guy screaming into his computer every day, which I probably still would be. I, like, I think that would probably be something I would do anyway. But uh, the fact that I get to do this uh, as work uh, when it's something I love is something I'm only able to do because there are folks like you that enjoy this and engage it with us and, and support the work that True North is doing. So thank you for that. We have a question from Daryl here who writes, I feel there is way too much silence everywhere on the WEF. Our government is simply following the WEF's agenda. The media, the House of Commons, even Pierre Polyev seldom speak of it. Can you help me to understand why the crickets on this? I, I don't know if that was an intentional pun, by the way. If, if so, well done. Uh, especially as the WEF brags about infiltrating over half of the Liberal NDP cabinet, it seems clear that Justin Trudeau is deliberately destroying our country. You will own nothing and you'll be happy. I didn't quite do it justice. And by the way, I have to correct your facts there, Daryl. The WEF did not brag about infiltrating over half the Liberal NDP cabinet. You've got to do it right here. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. They bragged about penetrate the cabinets. That's what uh, Mr. Klaus Schwab did. He penetrates the cabinet of people like Justin Trudeau. He looks around and says, oh yeah, half of them are our people. Like this is a maniacal egomaniac that is very proud of the fact that he wields, or at least purports to wield, so much influence in the elected governments in places like Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, and so on. So, uh, you know, Klaus penetrates the cabinet Schwab uh, does speak to a profound level of influence in the Canadian government. And I, I think there are two things happening. Number one, the WEF needs its big money supporters. The WEF, even if you strip away the partisan agenda and the political agenda, strip away the crickets and the digital ID and the own nothing and be happy, and, and just look at what the organization is on its own face. It is a cash for access grift that connects the big money of corporations with the big power of governments and basically sells that relationship to the other. 
they go to political leaders and say, this is the place you have to be because we have all these other political leaders and we have all these big movers and shakers in civil society. And then they go to the big corporations and they say, well, you need to be here because we've got all these big, powerful political leaders here and they're never going to take your call back home. But in Davos, you can just like run into them in the men's room or the ladies room or at the cricket buffet and you can tell them about all the things that they need to do. And it's a behind closed doors undisclosed cash for access fundraiser that connects lobbyists with politicians in ways that could never be done in Canada based on on lobbying restrictions. So that is the, that is what they're doing. They they the politicians are there for free because they are the product being sold. It's the Microsoft that are spending millions of dollars to get their people to the World Economic Forum annual meetings. And it's those people that are then connected with uh, King of the Belgians and the prime minister of this country and the president of this country and so on. And why that is so important is because you have to look at what the organization's value proposition is. So when Klaus Schwab gets on a stage and says he's penetrated the cabinet, what he's doing is he's making a sales pitch to all of those big corporate donors that he needs to finance the WAF by telling them how influential he is and how influential the World Economic Forum is. So there are two possible interpretations of this. Is he just, is it bravado, chest thumping, inflated sense of self-importance, or does he wield that influence? Does he have that power? Well, if it's the latter, then we've got a big problem because all of a sudden our democratic uh, nation has been outsourced to some Swiss business guy that has no leadership role whatsoever, no authority, no democratic oversight. If it's the former, he doesn't actually have that power. He's just thumping his chest. He's blowing smoke up every orifice imaginable. Then why is no one saying it's not true? Why is Christian Freeland, the deputy prime minister who sits on the board of trustees for the WEF, not coming out and fact-checking, saying, oh, come on, Klaus, quiet down. Yeah, you haven't penetrated anything. And, and this is the problem, is that I believe it's a bit of both. I believe the guy does have some influence, but I also believe he loves just puffing up his chest because that is his business model. That's how he remains relevant. But it, the fact that no one can have this conversation without being labeled a conspiracy theorist is so dangerous. The fact that I, sh I should have pulled the clip for today. The fact that I went up to Christian Freeland very politely and very friendly in a friendly manner in Davos. And I said, you know, you're, you have a conflict of interest. How do you explain that when you're on the board of trustees and you're also referencing Canada? And she is not a tall woman, but man, do those legs scurry when she's trying to get away from a real and legitimate question. A question that as far as I'm aware, she has never answered. And a question that so far as I can tell, she has never even been asked by a legacy media journalist in Canada. Instead, what the legacy media journalists in Canada do are run interference by saying that anyone who wants to have this conversation is a conspiracy theorist, that it's all just some big globalist, anti-Semitic conspiracy theory and all of that. And that's why I think there's been such an interest from True North supporters in us going to the World Economic Forum as journalists reporting on what they're doing there. I, I have been twice now. I went once in May of 2022. Uh, we returned with Sean and uh, we're doing some more video content in January. And we're going back and we're, we're bringing another colleague of ours, Cosman Georgia, who will be doing some more content. Uh, because anytime we've talked to our audience about this, the audience has said, yeah, we think this is important and no one else is asking these questions. No one else is looking for the story here. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm trying to do it in a way that is responsible and grounded in facts. And it's amazing how many facts, you don't need to come up with conspiracies because you can just use their own words. You can just find their own panels, their own discussions, their own proclamations and prescriptions and all of that. And that is where I, one person says, nice Klaus interpretation. Thank you. I, I get between January and January to, uh, to practice it uh, when I'm not uh, engaging in my own choreography in Davos, which uh, one of my colleagues so, so rudely edited into this video.
I mean, it wasn't even the right Alps there. Uh, the, Phil, Phil is the guy who did that, our uh, executive producer. But uh, I re- that was partially my problem. I mean, we were in the Swiss Alps. We were, she was in the Austrian Alps. But you look, it, the landscape was just so beautiful. Anyway, I, people complained when I did that video that I didn't do that I didn't sing as well. So uh, that was <laughs> that was where that clip came. So uh, if you want more of that, uh, you can uh, you know contribute to our World Economic Forum reporting fund and uh, send us back to Davos. Uh, let's see what else we have going on here. Daniel writes, first off, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Well, uh, Merry Christmas to you too, uh, Daniel. Uh, My question is, can the woke left actually be defeated? Everyone seems to either cater to their view or is silent. Do you think the average Canadian will finally stand up to this? So look, I remain a bit of an optimist, which is why I do this. If I I were pessimistic, if I were negative, I I wouldn't do the, the work that I do on a regular basis. But the question is, how much pain will we need to endure before that point comes? And what I would say is that the average Canadian is not woke. I'm not going to say they're anti-woke, but the average Canadian is not woke. And in fact, a lot of these discussions that exist on Twitter and in campus student unions are things that if you were to put to the average Canadian, they don't even know it's a thing. For example, I, I don't consider myself a normal person. I'm, I'm involved in politics. I'm not normal. But I was speaking to normies the other day, and they had just learned uh, about this thing you may have seen going around the internet, the now federally regulated workforces, which includes the parliament buildings, it includes the military. Uh, True North had reported on this, now have to distribute tampons to their employees. They have to make tampons available in the bathroom. Now you may think, okay, well, you know, not every woman can afford a tampon. You know, feminine hygiene products are expensive or at the very least just to be available to to be there would be useful until you just go one step further and learn that they also have to be made available in men's washrooms because it would be not inclusive to only provide tampons to women, you need to also provide tampons to men because everyone knows that uh, most men now are getting their periods. This is like one of the big uh, woke developments of 2023 where uh, you can be a menstruator, uh, and in fact, most men are in fact menstruators. So uh, this is the absurdity where you look at this and if you were to talk to some diversity activist, some diversity equity inclusion coordinator, some university social justice warrior, they're gonna be like, well, yes, obviously, obviously men can get periods. I mean, what are you, you hater, you bigot? And you go and talk to, uh, you know, Gladys uh, Smith at 123 Maple Street and say, uh, hi, Gladys, uh, do you think men need tampons? She's going to think you have dementia and not her. And this is, I think, the reality. Most Canadians, most people are very sensible. But what happens is they get deceived and deluded into believing that they are the problem, that they are the ones on the fringe, they are the ones on the margins, and that this is the power of uh, Gramsci, who was a a Marxist philosopher in Italy back in the day. Uh, Well, it wasn't back in the day if you had Marxist philosophers, but uh, nevertheless, Gramsci was quite influential. He used to have this, this issue that he was grappling with, which was why the collapse of capitalism hadn't happened. Why He was kind of just thinking, okay, it's coming any, any day now, we're going to rise up, and it never did, and he was wondering why. And he came up with what's now talked about as this cultural hegemony, this idea that you know the media, which he was quite accurate on, has this reinforcing value, this self-reinforcing value of being able to keep the people believing the lie. And we are in a a cultural hegemony now where the media, the elites, the leadership class, they all tend to go down this road of getting us to believe the lie. And, And if you can convince people that something as fundamentally simple as biology is a lie or is a construct, that men and women These are not terms that we understand, that I can look at someone and uh, who knows, maybe they're a man, maybe they're a woman, I I don't know, maybe they have a five o'clock shadow and a beard and a, a beer gut, maybe they're on their period, you never know. If you can convince people to go against every instinct and every sense and every ounce of logic and understanding they have on something like that, you can convince them to believe absolutely everything. And it's why I talk often about the idea of first principles. And I'm going to be doing an interview with Mark Milkey, I think next week about this, where if if we as a society cannot agree on the first principles, we can't go down and, and just fundamentally, fundamentally understand and accept a baseline premise, we're never going to be able to deal with the 
related premises and subsequent premises that come about in any discussion or any debate. So uh, once more, we've uh, got some emailed questions I'm working through here. If you want to get a fresh question in and go to the top of the queue, you can post a super chat on YouTube. And I, I welcome all of you contributing there. Uh, let's see, we've got a message here. We got a few here. Uh, Phil says, your show has the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? Well, Phil, I don't know. It's uh, very difficult, but we we somehow managed. Thank you for uh, that guy. That might be the Phil that I was insulting earlier on the uh, Sound of Music video, in which case I uh, recant. We've got a question from Tim. Now, this is a physics question. I am good with words. I'm good with language. Phenomenal with geography. If you want like a an obscure international city or a state capital, I've got you covered. Physics, not so much. But Tim wants to know, what happens when a resistible force meets a movable object? Now, I believe this is a play on the original question, uh, which is what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object, which uh, generally speaking is as uh, much of a paradox as uh, Justin Trudeau being intelligent about something. But uh, what happens when a resistible object meets a movable object? Well, I actually had some experience with that on the 401. Uh, and the answer was that my movable object was moved into another uh, seemingly irresistible object and I lost my car. So, uh, you know, Tim is a little bit of an insens insensitive question if I uh, do say so myself, but uh, thank you anyway. If I have gotten it wrong, I encourage you to take it up with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So that's the name of that like uh, physicist that, you know, always tells everyone how smart he is, right? Neil deGrasse Tyson, is that? Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Or is he a basketball player? I don't know. I, if it's a sports thing, I have no idea, but... Uh, we have a question from Colleen here. This one I get asked about a lot. So I, I wanted to get to Colleen's question. She writes, I'm wondering about the people in prison after the Coots border issue. Are they still in prison? Someone just told me their wives can't even visit them. Is that correct? So uh, I get emails all the time. Why are you not covering the Coots 4? Why are you not covering the Coots 4? I have mentioned it on the show, but not in a while. So uh, just to, to bring you up to speed here, the Coots 4 refers to an arrest of uh, four men facing allegations that they were involved in a conspiracy to kill RCMP officers. Very, very serious charge. They were arrested in February 2022. It is coming up on two years since that arrest, and there have been delays and delays and delays in the case, and there is still no trial. Now, I believe the trial is imminent, but this has been a long-running issue. And as I've talked about in the case of Tamara Leach and Chris Barber, the process is very much the punishment in these things. Your life is on hold. In this case, the guys are behind bars. Now, here is the thing. I have many, many problems with a revolving door justice system. And I do not like that violent offenders are arrested, released on bail, they reoffend. Arrested, released on bail, reoffend. This is the, the perennial story of our justice system. If these men are guilty of the offense for which they are charged, they belong behind bars. We're talking about an incredibly serious charge. The idea of, of plotting to kill police officers is not a charge that is going to get you bail. Now, we are innocent until proven guilty in our society. At least we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. It's a cornerstone of criminal justice. But this does not mean that you cannot be incarcerated prior to your crime or prior to your trial. Uh, for example, if you commit a murder and you're arrested in the eyes of the law, you're innocent, but you're probably not going to be let out on bail pending your trial because of the seriousness of it. And there's a whole formula about how bail issues are dealt with. Now, I believe it's important because of that for trials to be dealt with expeditiously. Here's where we get into the problem of why I've not covered the case. Number one, to cover a trial, I believe requires a commitment that you have to cover it from start until finish. I have not covered the Tamara Leach Chris Barber trial in Ottawa because I know that I could not sit in that courtroom every day and accurately tell you, well, I'm supposed to be doing a show every day, what's been happening. So we do updates from time to time. We rely on people who are in the courtroom and who are covering it that can provide that. But it's difficult to cover a long-running trial in detail in a podcast format because they're so convoluted. And especially with our court system being what it is, um, you need to do so much in person. I'm not in Lethbridge. I can't move to Lethbridge. I don't think my, actually, maybe my wife would like if I moved to Lethbridge and just left her in Ontario. But I, I can't 
commit to doing this in the way that it's supposed to be done. The other issue, and this is the bigger one, and I have to be very careful about how I discuss this. There have been publication bans on parts of this case, on some of the evidence that is part of this case, that I cannot discuss, and I cannot even discuss the existence of, based on the last documents that I saw. So this, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of flirting close to the edge here, and I, and I want to avoid that, but what I'm saying is that I have reviewed documents that I am not allowed to discuss, and it's very difficult for me to, now they're available. I mean, you can seek them out as an individual, but I, as a member of the media, cannot discuss it or share it with you. But it's very difficult to unknow something. And how can I talk about a case where the details of the charges are very important when I have this information that I'm not allowed to share? And, and that's part of the reason I've made the decision to not have to walk close to that line because I do take uh, contempt of court very seriously and I don't want to find myself guilty of violating a publication ban. And uh, there has been challenge there, there have been challenges against the publication ban by media outlets. And I, I, I don't know where that is at this exact moment, but that's the issue is that it's very, very difficult to cover a case like this. So I think people should, I'm not saying it's not a story. I'm just saying that this is where people that are on the ground that can be there need to really rise up and, and do this. And, and when, there are in, or when there are details that we're allowed to share, uh, we can. But uh, the issues about justice, the issues about speedy trial, absolutely, that, that has been dealt with. And those are the parts of this I have spoken about. So I, I do thank you for the question, Colleen and, and others who have asked that as well. Uh, let's see, do we have any other hot button issues here? Uh, yes, this is one, another one we get uh, a fair bit of. Uh, Bogdan writes, I know there are a few adverse effects from these. Uh, I don't even want to say the word because we're going to get YouTube banned. You can see it on the screen there, but the mainstream media is silent on it. I was wondering if True North is willing to attack this sensitive topic. There are a lot of people on X, YouTube, Rumble podcast who are just presenting apocalyptic scenarios for persons who got these mRNA shots. Again, I have Pfizer on my shoulder, uh, but these guys will not be watched or taken into consideration by my friends. And I guess 60 to 70% of regular Canadians are like that, if not in the mainstream media. So even if I tell them that I have friends who got ugly adverse reactions after these shots, they just don't believe it. So this, I mean, I've gotten hate mail on this in the past. I shared this with you early on because I didn't want anyone to think that I was hiding it. I made the decision to get vaccinated. I do not regret that decision, but I have never on air or off air told anyone else what to do. I encourage people to make their own decisions. They know their medical history, their family history, their value sets. I trust people to have relationships with their doctors. And I have taken the view that it should be an entirely voluntary decision for absolutely everyone. Um, and one of the reasons I've not talked about adverse effects on the show is twofold. Number one, I'm not a scientist and it's very difficult for me. And I'm aware of my limitations to adjudicate between what two people in lab coats are saying, because yeah, for all of the, the Robert Malone's and the Peter McCullough's that are coming and prevent presenting their side of this, there are other people that are just as qualified or educated. And frankly, more of them on the other side that are saying, the opposite of that. So if I am to engage in this issue, I believe that I have an authority or I believe I have a responsibility if I'm talking about something to understand it, to know the issue. So I've engaged on the issue of vaccines from the perspective that matters to me the most, which is personal choice and civil liberties. Um, I agree there are consequences. And I, I, I think certainly if you look at in the UK, what they've dealt with on uh, the AstraZeneca rollout, there have been uh, cases, documented cases affirmed by coroners and reports and all of that, where people have been injured or have lost their lives. And I believe they deserve to be treated far more respectfully than they have been when they're silenced and, and shut up. I think there are also other people that are overstating anytime something happens assuming it had to be related to this thing without a connection there. And I, I think this is why I, I can tell some people are, are probably seething by me even having this conversation, but I cannot adjudicate between these things when, when they're so personal and so scientific. 
uh, and and it's not my job to, I, I feel. So I, I think people should be able to have the discussions. I support free speech for doctors. I support uh, bodily autonomy for patients. And as a result, you have to be the one to seek out the information that you value. And if you're looking to me for medical, I mean, look at me. No one should be looking to me for any medical advice. That's the one thing I can tell you. And that's probably my best defense on, on this. And, and then there's the practical side, which is even if you so much as dance around the issue, uh, YouTube's gonna you know give you the slap on the wrist. And like, I had the My Pillow guy on this show and we were banned from posting anything uh, on YouTube for two weeks uh, because I spoke about Jesus and drug addiction recovery with Mike Lindell. And he just mentioned in passing that he had a documentary coming out and uh, boom, we got banned. So that's why uh, this issue is so difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. See, like I said, don't take medical advice from me. I like cough nonstop. Um, one thing that has come up from so many people here, this is like one of the number one questions that came in. Tracy writes, well, no, sorry, I'll get to Tracy's after. Uh, Sonia writes, thank you for all your work. Thank you to all True North team. You are my daily news. Would you please show at least a picture with you and Sean? You communicate with him during the show so many times that naturally I started getting curious. I hope I spelled his name correctly. Uh, Bentley also writes, you often talk about your producer, Sean, but I have never seen him on camera. Uh, so maybe you could have him on with you on the episode. I think a lot of listeners will like it. Well, uh, so this has actually been a, a running gag that got out of hand. Sean doesn't actually exist. He's not a real person. Uh, every uh, broadcaster needs a foil. So I, I just kind of made up this fictitious producer that you are meant to believe is behind the camera. And uh, then I just periodically have these conversations with, oh, wait. Hey. Oh, there is a Sean. Oh. Oh, hey, Sean, how I didn't see you there. What's going on? Sean, you're the producer and you came on without audio. <laughs> how about that? Am I coming through There now? we go. I can hear you now. This is just Welcome. This is uh, Sean really Thompson. Yeah, this is Sean Thompson's Andrew Lawton show debut. I, I, he does exist. He is real. He's been involved uh, yeah, very, very much in, in all of the episodes. And he is also the videographer when we go on the road and uh, do something like we did on Friday with Pierre Polyev or uh, like we do in, in Davos. Uh, Sean, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you for a long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Happy to be on the show. Uh, what, what do you think of just like the popular demand that we created for you? Like you were, I think you were actually the number one individual topic was I wanna know more about this Sean fellow. Well, I'm truly flattered and thank you all for not only just watching the show, but being so curious to see what I look like. and. Uh, and, and uh, I guess fascinated by my existence. No, honestly, this is something that I thought about uh, just very briefly, you know, end of the year kind of things. Maybe we do like a little trivia or something like that. And I was curious to see if people actually remembered, because you do bring me up often on the show. And I was just curious, maybe throwing a question, like, do you know the name of uh, Andrew Long's producer? But before I even had the chance to think of that idea, all these questions already came in. And uh, it looks <laughs> like there are at least a few who, who do remember the name. So thank you all, not just for watching, but for taking a little bit of interest in, in what we do here behind the scenes. Yeah, and I will say it's it's obviously been been a lot of fun getting to work with you and, and being on the road. There is I, I know from working in talk radio, the relationship between the producer and host is is a, a very important one because one of the biggest challenges, especially in talk radio, is that every producer like had their own view of how the show could be. And 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 ideally you want someone who's going to bring you ideas that you wouldn't have come up with, but also not try to like, like you haven't been like, we're gonna go all vegan all the time and we're going to talk about how great electric cars are and how uh, men and women are malleable concepts. You, you've not like, you've not like upended the format, which is good. Well, not yet at least. I mean, give us another year or so perhaps, you know, you gotta sort of let these things come with time. I can't just jump in and throw it all on you at once, but no, um, I mean, I've been a little deferential in that sense. I respect that this is your show. You've been doing it for quite a long time. So anything that I could do to help you make that process a little bit easier and to contribute some new ideas, I've always been happy to do. All right. So which, which is your favorite part? We've sent you to some exotic places like uh, Zurich and Davos and uh, Ottawa. Um, what, what, what's been your favorite, uh, favorite on location bit we've done? Well, Calgary, for sure. I mean, Calgary is a beautiful city. Um, pretty much anywhere we've had an opportunity to travel to, I've, I've really enjoyed visiting. People ask me the most, I would say, about Davos. People are always wondering what that's like and uh, sort of what it's like to, to be at the World Economic Forum. And um, I think people are often disappointed when I tell them that I just I had a wonderful time. I mean, maybe because I was a good company with, with yourself. But and, you know, the Rebel crew was there, Ezra Levant, very wonderful, very gracious uh, person himself. But um, something about being in the Swiss Alps, 
at that time, just it, it was it was truly something unique for me. Um, but aside from that, if we're if we're really thinking about the places that have really connected with me the most, I think Calgary for for something something just about the people there. It's just a beautiful place, and um, yeah, I just I, I like that uh, Alberta temperament. You're you're the only Torontonian that's ever had nice things to say about Calgary, so I think that's why they they keep having you back. See, this is why I can't put you on the screen beside me normally, and why you've never been on the show because we have a comment here. Wow, he's handsome. Is Andrew's producer single? Wowza. Is there a name behind that comment? Just just curious. There is, and I think this may demystify the comment a little bit. The name is Emma. Does that ring a bell at all? It does ring. You know, I think there was a couple, uh, maybe someone in my life named Emma who who would say something like that, perhaps. Yeah. But I like to think that that's a commonly shared sentiment amongst the audience. Yeah. She's just speaking on behalf of of the rest of them. Well, look. Oh, sorry, I misread it. That was actually from Harrison Faulkner. Uh, that comment. That uh, you know, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. That you okay. mentioned it, yeah. Get in line, Emma. Harrison was uh, was up first. All right. Well, uh, just what are you uh, doing for the holidays? What are you uh, planning for the New Year's outside the show? Because we, we we do let you have a life, I believe. I hope. Is that a, is that just a trick question? Are you serious? I actually going to have a help. No. <laughs> yeah, the answer should um, be no, I'm working. I'm going to be hard at work over Christmas. No, no, no. What, what's coming well, up? Honestly, just the normal sort of seeing my families and stuff. You know, I love uh, I love the holidays. Um, my mom is my mom is Peruvian, so she takes Christmas to a whole different level. So uh, you know, it's it's mainly just about being with your family. For my mom celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, and uh, and for New Year's, sort of the same thing. I mean, I'm sure me and Emma will find something to do. You know, we always find some trouble to get up to, but. Uh, nothing too big. No, no traveling. I mean, most of my family's here in the GTA anyway, so it's kind of easy for us that way, but just hoping to get enjoy, enjoy some time with the family, get some much needed time off and rest and, uh, get ready for, for January, 2024. All right. And that's it. Uh, yeah. Well, we've got to obviously the Davos trip coming up. I believe there is, I don't, I don't know if you put the poll in, but, uh, someone did a poll. Do you want to see more Sean on the Andrew Lawton show? And uh, so far, uh, yes is winning with 80% uh, and no with 19. So uh, maybe we should do this more than just at the year-end show when we're uh, doing the Ask Me Anythings. I would love to. I don't know what that 19% is thinking, honestly, but uh, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm, cu yeah I'm, curious who the, I'm curious who the 19% is now. That's uh, all right. If you, if you don't like Sean, don't, don't, let, don't, don't let him know in the comments because I think he sees them before I do. But uh, Sean, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to uh, work with you. And I believe I've met that uh, Emma that's uh, uh, lurking you in the comments section as well. And, and she is similarly lovely. So I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. And uh, thank you so much for all your uh, work on the show to date. And I'm looking forward to what comes next. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, Merry Christmas to yourself as well and to everyone in the audience too. All right. Well, thank you. And I hope, Sean, you don't disconnect because then I believe the show ends. So uh, he goes back to the uh, behind the scenes role. Um, we have some more questions here. We are just going to be ending uh, in a few moments. So I, I can't get to all of the questions here. Tracy had said, I'm so glad I found True North. I love all the news and unbiased reporting. I would love to meet everyone at True North. I know a lot of the names and watch their shows, but there are several I don't know because we only get articles. Would it be possible to have a short show to introduce everyone just to put a face and perhaps a short bio to the name? That is a great idea. And you know what? Next week, I think I'm going to have some of the reporters on just to chat about uh, some of the, the top stories of the year, people you might not see on camera often. Uh, but maybe in the new year, that's something we could do in a bit more of a casual way. I will say for our True North insiders, these are people who make uh, monthly contributions to True North, which you can do at donate.tnc.news. We do these periodic um, off-air, off, I say off the record. I mean, they're not secret. We just don't broadcast them. Uh, Zoom meetings where uh, we just all chit-chat and people who you may know of and, and not see on shows all get together. And it's a fun opportunity for the True North team to kick back and also to uh, take some more questions similar to this format uh, that uh, uh, we have there. And sorry, I got distracted by another comment about Sean. Sean's like amassing all of the uh, the fans in the audience. So this this may be like a Dr. Phil scenario where... Uh, you know, he, well, actually, that makes me Oprah in this case. So anyway, don't don't take the metaphor too far. Uh, we have a message from Eliah who writes, uh, perhaps you can address why there is no mention in the media or by the conservatives that according to a number of sources that measure or estimate the amounts of greenhouse gas emissions per country, China produced uh, you know, bajillion uh, kilotons of carbon per year. Um, the numbers are you can kind of see them there. But basically, the question is that China is contributing more than 20 times what Canada is. They're building coal plants, not reducing, yet we're the ones that have to do the so-called fight to stop climate change. 
Uh, what uh, Elia writes here, personally, I think we should make efforts to take our natural environment into consideration and endeavor to be more environmentally friendly. But it's obvious that the liberals are perpetuating a fraud on Canadians. I, I would say, I mean, I don't know if the conservatives talk about it. I, we talk about it on this show. I think we, with Mark Morano last week on his uh, time at COP28, we talked about this. Why is it that we have to bend over backwards, destroy our economy when China is kind of just going along and play, paying lip service while investing, industrializing, building, constructing, and doing so with no sense of environmental considerations. So uh, we can't stop the world from producing, but we can shift production. And do we want to be producers here or do we want China and India to be the beneficiaries? And when you put it like that, it's a simple calculation, but one that you're right is absent from a lot of the mainstream media discourse. This is a question from John. I have followed you since you were on the radio and agree with 99% of your views. Well, that's a very good, very good average. I see that on the Middle East situation, you, along with the North American mainstream and conservative media, take a strong pro-Israel stance. You've even reported, repeated the beheaded baby story, which I've learned after much research, was just a rumor made up by a reporter. Do you still believe it? Whew, here's a loaded question. So... Just, yes, I'm, I'm pro-Israel. I've, I've been to Israel twice. I do not take an uncritical view of Israel. But when it comes to the core question, does Israel have a right to exist? My answer is yes. Does Israel have a right to defend itself? My answer is yes. Now, the Gaza situation has been a heinous, heinous example of why Israel's right to exist and defend itself is under threat. Because you have this terrorist group called Hamas and other groups as well that want the annihilation and obliteration of Israel. Now, war is nasty. Terror is nasty. The question is about this one specific allegation that has become a very important one in terms of how people view this conflict and also the pace at which media reports. So how it started was there was a, an Israeli reporter with I-24 in Israel, I believe it was, who reported that she had heard from an IDF uh, official or multiple IDF officials that there were evidence of babies having been beheaded. I think it was at the, the kibbutz whose name escapes me right now. And this was reported extensively. It was reported everywhere. But if you looked at all of the reporting, it all linked back to this one woman and this one report. And that was so very key. And this was just a few days after the initial attacks. So I reported it originally. And then I pulled back a little bit. And then I saw there be more and more support for it. And then multiple IDF officials at different levels came out and said, yes, there is evidence. And yes, there are photographs. Now, they have not shared these photographs, even when they have brought reporters in and showed off the record footage of what has happened and footage of victims. They have not shared videos of beheaded babies. And it's terrible for me that this has become brutal as this is, such an important discussion in this. But I have not seen pictures. I have not seen these images. I do not claim to have seen them. Do I believe them? Yes. I believe them because it has come from enough different places, enough different authorities that do not have a reason to lie about this. And by that, I mean that there is enough that has been proven such as the sexual assaults, the hostages, all of that. There's enough that has been proven that you don't need to make something like this up. We know that babies were killed. We know that bodies were burned. Is it all that unbelievable that babies were beheaded? So yes, I believe it. I, I dispute the premise that it all goes back to that one reporter's work. That one reporter certainly started that initial volley, but it has since been reaffirmed by multiple people in the IDF. Now, look, if you if you take the view that Israelis are just propagandists and they're lying and it's all just wartime propaganda, yeah, you won't believe that unless you have evidence. But I'll, I'll say it doesn't really matter. And and I don't mean that truth doesn't matter. Truth does matter. But if if your view of what Hamas did is that everything else is fine except for the possibility of beheading babies, you have already decided that you are fine with horror and you are fine with terror. So the people that got all pearl clutchy about this particular issue 
are people that are generally fine with Hamas violence in general. I can't end on that note. That would be like a brutal one to end on. But uh, do we have any lighter uh, lighter ones here that we can go to? Well, here's a, here's a fun one. Robert says he finds it infuriating when we see a politician asked a question in the House of Commons launch into a talking point filled speech that in no way relates to the question. We see politicians refuse to answer no matter how many times they're asked. Uh, I believe Justin Trudeau was asked 17 times in a row. How many times have you met with the ethics commissioner? Um, would it be possible to get a few influential people together to discuss the merits in bringing in some form of regulation regarding the Q&A period that requires truth and relevance, something similar to those in place in a court of law? So I don't know if it's possible. I, I think what we need to see is political pressure. We, we need to make it where the dodging the question is not something you can just get away with. I, I jokingly uh, wrote, it was actually like one of my most popular tweets about a year ago, something where I said, you know, I'm going to start talking to my wife like a politician. If she says, did you unload the dishwasher? I'll say, I believe in, in, in clean dishes. I've always believed in clean dishes. And it's terrible that you could have a house in which dishes are not clean. And that's based, I mean, I was inspired to write that after seeing an Aaron O'Toole press conference. So take from that what you will. But not that Justin Trudeau is much better. Pierre Polyev, very good at answering questions, even if you don't like the answers. That's why I pushed him hard on immigration numbers in that interview. Jason Kenney was always good at answering questions. He would take a meandering route to get there, but he would always end with a, a question. Uh, Kathleen Wynne, uh, you know, I do not have a lot of time for her policies, but she was always a delight to interview because she would say the answer and uh, she was the premier of Ontario, the liberal. And she would give the answer and you'd hate the answer, but it's like, well, I can't fight with you because you've given me the answer. You've answered the question. You've done what I asked you to do in the interview. And a lot of the time people mistake. If I think of kind of my own interview philosophy, people think my job is to bludgeon or persuade people. When, when I interview someone, I'm not trying to convince them. I'm not trying to convince Pierre Polyev of anything. Of I, You want to expose things. You want to expose contradictions and conflicts. But, but ultimately, I'm asking because I believe they have an answer that people need to hear to make up their own opinion on. So if they don't answer the question, I'll ask. If they do answer it, I'm not going to just bludgeon them with it. I'll say, okay, then we move on to the next topic. And uh, it's tough because, you know, you could take a 20-minute interview and spend it on one particular issue, trying to get a yes-no answer to a question. But then you've missed the opportunity to talk about a whole bunch of other things. And, and that it's always a bit of a balancing act. And I know every now and then you whenever you do an interview, the most annoying questions you get are, well, I, why didn't you ask this? Because it's 20 minutes and you can only ask so many questions in a, a 20 minute period, which is why I think leaders should uh, do more and more interviews with uh, True North. So that's my little New Year's hope for the uh, 2024 that's coming. Uh, apparently, our master producer, Sean, who was so popular, was like having a conversation that you all were hearing that I didn't hear. So hopefully it was nothing that like was too... Uh, oh, it was Sean. I don't know if Sean, if you can still pop on, but hopefully it wasn't anything uh, too, too bad that we'll like lose our clean tag on uh, iTunes for, was it? I can't imagine it was anything too interesting. No, honestly, I just uh, went back to review all the things I had just said while I was on the air very briefly. That's how self-conscious I am about all this. So you weren't even talking. And, uh, you, were, you were just like listening to yourself. You were just basking no, in the was, glory of Sean. For sure. It was just, it was a recording of a recording. <laughs> Again, I apologize <laughs> to the audience. You probably all want me kicked out and not booted from the show, yeah. you know? So it was a great time working for you, Andrew. And uh, hopefully yeah, I can yeah, land on yeah. my feet. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. This, this is now your, uh, your, your exit interview at uh, True North. Well, all right. Well, Sean, thanks very much. And to all of you, thanks for your questions. If you think we should do this again, let me know in the comments. If you think we should kill this format, take it out to the woodshed and never speak of it again, let me know that as well, because we do try to be receptive to your feedback. So if you like the idea of doing the questions, uh, say so. If you don't like the, que the questions, say that as well. I don't know if it's going to be perfectly democratic, but if there's like a clear consensus, we will uh, probably try to go along with it here. Uh, another super chat from Just Me, Nicole, who says a quick Merry Christmas to all and congratulations on the Pierre Polyev interview. Well done. Well, thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you to all of you tuning in. We will talk to you tomorrow here on The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.